Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm Elaine miller Karras, your host today. I also want to let all of our listeners know on Voice America that we're also um, live streaming on Facebook at Resiliency Within, if you want to watch us as well as listen to us. So it is my absolute honor today to welcome my friend, Barbara Gibson, to the show. And today, the show is entitled Compassion and Loving Kindness in Response to Genuine Warranted Despair. And I must say that when we planned the show, it was before the last week of our lives. And I think many of us have been, certainly, I think I was talking to my husband, and I always love Star Wars. I was sharing with Barbara before we started the show and I remember um, in the very first Star Wars when um, the princess is talking to Luke Skywalker and she says there's been a disturbance in the force. And that certainly is what I've experienced with the um, invasion of Ukraine. Um, you may not know that in 2019, I was invited to come to Ukraine to bring the um, all the tenants of the community resiliency model to the Ukrainian people through an organization called EdCamp. So I was actually in um, one of the cities that's being heavily bombed right now, and I have many friends there. So, Barbara, I have been experiencing a bit of despair. And um, when we, you know, design this program, I want to kind of share your words because yeah. I couldn't be more fitting for us to talk about this today. Mm-hmm. And they, and that is that we are inundated with information about all that is wrong in the world. Sometimes it feels so overwhelming. We throw our hands up believing we can't possibly make a difference, but we can. This uh, There's a quote that goes, everyone wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mom with the dishes. And Barbara, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more when we get into the conversation. And there's something every single one of us can do right now, right where we are to ease suffering. We can start by recognizing where we have power and cho- and to choose to use it honorably. And where we don't have power, we still have a choice to practice compassion and loving kindness in response to our genuine and warranted despair. So, Barbara Gibson, my friend, is the Housing Programs Director with the Women's Resource Center in Decatur, Georgia, um, which is an organization that works with ending domestic violence. Um, And that's a very important thing, of course, that we need to experience all over the world. Um, So, she, so you're actually the housing programs director with, with the Women's Resource Center, and you've provided leadership and advocacy with a focus on resilience, compassion, and safety since joining the center in 1989. So Barbara encourages regular self-nurturing practices to deepen the connection of our, our innate well-being. Now, Barbara is many things, but she's also 
is a 200-hour registered yoga instructor and meditation guide with Insight Timer. Barbara is certified by the Trauma Resource Institute as a community resiliency model teacher and has completed Shambhala trainings levels 1, 2, and 3, as well as Cognitively Based Compassion Training, CBCT. She's appeared on a variety of radio and television programs to explain the importance of building resilience and providing safe places for victims of domestic violence, including children. And she believes safer homes and communities are possible. So, Barbara, welcome. Welcome, Thank you, Elaine. Thank you. I'm really, really glad to be here. And as we're getting started, is there anything particular on your mind that you want to talk about? Um, we've prepared some questions, as you know, and we can definitely do a yeah. deeper dive into some of those issues. But what's on your mind right now? Yeah, I thought I would start by just inviting everyone to take a moment and really pause. And you said yourself that we're all holding so much right now, that these are really difficult times and that we're yes. all experiencing a lot of anxiety and overwhelm. Not to bring attention to that, but really to give ourselves permission and a little bit of space to bring ourselves a sense of connection to all the people in the world who are also hoping for peace, who are also hoping that Mm -hmm. the people of Ukraine um, come through this okay, also hoping for a resolution. So maybe just to take a moment and recognize our connection, right? that we're not in this alone, that we are worried, our neighbors are worried. We all really care deeply about this, and we all want peace for everyone. Just to take a moment and notice that, that feeling of being connected. Barbara, thank you for starting us off with that Mm self-reflection. Just as you said that, I could kind of see all the people that I know and care about and people that I don't know kind of surrounding Mm -hmm. the world in this image that came into into my head that mm-hmm. we are going to try to help as much mm-hmm. as we can mm-hmm. the, um, the people of Ukraine that are suffering right now. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, Barbara, as, as we're getting started, I, you know, I shared with you and I shared with, uh, with um, our Voice America audience, you know, my, my connection to Ukraine. And um, so it has been kind of a tough week for me, and I have been um, involved in a series of webinars for them over the last four days, getting up quite early in the morning so they could get mm-hmm. it at a decent mm-hmm. time since I'm on California time. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering in your, in your experience, when we talk about, um, you know, safer homes and communities are possible, mm-hmm. thinking about people that are in Ukraine that were, maybe were in their home and now living in a shelter, Mm-hmm. and maybe thinking that that's not quite possible for them now. So can you maybe illuminate us a little bit about how we can still do that if, it's, if we're living in chaos? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. That's a good question. So when I think about safer homes and communities, I'm really thinking that we need to begin within, right? So if I think about a place that feels like home, a place where I know that I can be safe, a place where I can care for big feelings, uncomfortable feelings, where I can ride the waves of impermanence, where I can recognize that I'm connected to all human beings on good days and on bad days, that I have a sense of myself that is innately whole, that there is well-being that I'm always connected to, resilience that I'm always connected to. Um, that's what I mean when I'm talking about beginning with safer homes. Um, if we can see our own body as a refuge, as a sense of place, then from that really stable base, 
we can look out into the world and we can be the kind of peace that helps us create safer communities within and without. So if I'm the kind of person who has, and we've talked about this a lot, a nervous system that can kind of lead other people who can help people feel a sense of safety, feel a sense of connection. And I share that energy with the people around me because we've talked about mirror neurons, right? If people can watch me being calm, if people can watch me in my resilience zone, if people can watch me feeling regulated, then the way that they're likely to relate to themselves in that moment, the way they're able to access their own regulation to calm down, um, I think they have more access to. And then the way that you show up in relationship to the people around you is going to be different. And if you can relate to people in a way where you are regulated, when you are in your resilience zone, when your uh, prefrontal cortex is online, when you're thinking clearly, then you have more emotional capacity to really show up and see another person as a full human being. You can see that they are in many ways just the same as you are, a person who cares about their safety, who cares about their children, who has dreams, who has hopes. You see a human being in front of you and the way that you relate to that person is really different. So if we begin with ourselves, finding a home in ourselves where we are safe, finding a home within ourselves where we can care for ourselves and we have the capacity to reach out and connect with other people, to relate to them as human beings, that's how we can build safer homes and communities. We begin within and then we say, we share the energy around and it passes out like ripples. So that's why, the, that's why self-care is so important. And when we talk about self-care, it might sound really trite, and, but it's really not. When we have a responsibility, self-care is not just about how I show up for myself. But when I think about how I show up for myself, it impacts how I show up in the world. And so we're talking about being the change, we cannot be the change if we're not able to be with ourselves in a way that's kind and compassionate. So when you, I'm, I'm hearing you speak, Barbara, so that safer home first is within ourselves. Right. That we may be right. living in chaos, but if we can create that sense of calm, even within chaos. And what's so interesting about what you're saying is when we did a web, the webinar um, for the Ukrainians over the last four days, we... Um, we actually ask them, you know, is there anything that helps you right now? Is there anything that makes you feel calmer, that uplifts you? And, and many people said the things that we always hear, you know, my family, my faith, my friends. Um, many of them said, I'm, you know, the, the Ukrainian military that are standing up and the people that are trying to protect us and save our country. Mm-hmm. And then when I asked them what they were experiencing on the inside when they said that, a number of people said, oh, I feel calmer. Yeah. Um, I feel lighter. One person said she feels like she had spring inside. I I mean, I'm going, oh, my gosh. We're just asking that question when there's literally bombs going around. And in that moment, that person was able to illuminate that. And that touched me so deeply. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I just can't thank you enough for bringing that out for all of us because we never know what kind of chaos we might be walking into. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's the horrible chaos of war that we're witnessing on the news or living mm-hmm. through. Right. But there's also the chaos, you know, you working with domestic violence um, that impacts children and, and the partners of the abusers. And I always think about the abuser, about what mm-hmm. happened to them mm-hmm. that created um, this person who strikes out at people. Mm-hmm. And maybe like mm-hmm. you say, 
what I heard you say is that the safer a home that we can create inside of ourselves that reflects to others. And Barbara, I, I mean, I hope all of you in some time in your life go to Decatur, Georgia to meet Barbara, <laughs> because being in her presence, the first time, one of the first times I was with her, we were doing a training. Um, I can't remember, where were we, Barbara? We were doing a training. At Emory. At, at, at Emory. At Emory, at Emory yes. And I'm just mm-hmm. saying, I am with this person that literally glows of peace. So um, I'm sure people have said that to you before, Barbara, but I mean, it's really in your presence. It almost feels like the, the, I get washed with this wonderful um, water of peace and kindness when I talk with mm-hmm. you. So I think everyone, I could, I mean, I know that you believe that's possible for each and every one of us, but I know that life has, hasn't always been easy for you. So I'm wondering if mm-hmm. you can share a little bit about, you know, your lived experience of what has brought you um, in your life to be so passionate about um, creating safer homes within us and also mm-hmm. our communities. If you'd mm-hmm. like to share a little bit about your own life story. Yeah, I will. I, I will start by saying that, you know, the whole business around being peace or having access to your own inner resiliency has been a really important journey for me just because I grew up with domestic violence. And because of that, I had a a long-term experience of anxiety, of depression, and it was very, very painful. Um, And so I came to the Women's Resource Center just because of that experience of domestic violence, that sense of, you know, these difficult things are happening in my home and there's nothing I can do about it. And so when the opportunity came that I could do something about it, I decided to start volunteering at the Women's Resource Center, and that's really what brought me here. And I really think of this as my life's work. It's how you show up with other people really is um, a responsibility. And it's something that we talk about here a lot. So we even ask people on interviews or, or interns, you know, after you have an exchange with someone, what do you want them to take away from that exchange? Because um, when we think about domestic violence, it might feel, and it does feel, it feels very deeply personal. This is, this is happening to me. This is a person that I've invited into my life, and this person is now causing me harm. But what's also true is that it's a cultural issue. It's a structural issue. And we learn from each other what's important, how to show up in the world, what's acceptable. And so for me, um, showing up in a way that's kind, in a way that... um, Let's me connect with people, is present with people, lets me see people as a human being is a really, um, it's a way that I kind of manifest my commitment to, to um, creating safer homes and community, to really creating peace in a world where there is not enough peace. It's my way of letting people know, especially for people who experience a lot of trauma, there might be this sense of, you know, I have to be on guard around everyone. I can never relax. And my intention really is to feel like a refuge for someone, to feel like a safe space for someone where they can kind of let their shoulders down a little bit, where they can let themselves breathe deeply a little bit. And then when that happens and they do, just like you just talked about, where people had that felt sense of calm inside their bodies, even in the sense of chaos, what I can then say to them after they do that with me, because we talk about the community resiliency model here at the safe house. What I can then say to them is, you know how to get here. Because if you're mm-hmm. used to dealing with a lot of crisis, if you're used to dealing with a lot of trauma, 
it might feel like that experience is solid, like your nervous system has no other setting than activation or dysregulation. And so if you're with someone who can help you get to that place inside yourself where you feel like you're at home, where there is ease, or there is calm, or there is peace, or you at least feel mostly okay, then that refutes what the story has been all along. I'm never going to be okay. I'm never all right. I'm never safe. And once you can let someone have a different kind of experience, once they know that experience is possible, that's a way of creating more hope. So it's not just about telling someone that they can feel better. It's about you know, using your nervous system as a way of leading them to the place in their nervous system where they do feel better. And then they recognize that capacity inside themselves. So that chaos that they may be living in mm-hmm. is so important that that is not who they are. It's no. like creating that sense of right. self. And you said, you know, I know we said self-care, that that um, word can be overused. But yeah. also, when you're talking, I, I'm really getting the sense of how we can be compassionate towards ourselves when we've lived with great suffering. Mm-hmm. So, Barbara, I have a curiosity question now. <laughs> that, okay. Do you remember the moment that here mm-hmm. you had grown up with, with domestic violence, you went and volunteered at the center. Was there a moment that hope was awakened in you? Um, Actually, lots of moments. You know, one of the things that's true is that I had a lot of difficulties, but I also had a lot of people in my life who supported me and loved me a lot. Uh, My father was no longer living, but my mother is living. She is a great support to me, and I admire her so much, her resiliency. And also my anxiety, it's my mother's sister. I mean, they're, they're two people who, whenever I think of them, I do feel that sense of calm and peace. And I'm noticing even now as I'm talking about them that mm. my voice is I noticed is you, put your, you put your yes, hand to your heart, yes, Barbara, we know yes, that. For yes. our Voice America listeners, and you have a yeah. big smile. But yeah. I think that that goes along. One of the themes of this show is yeah. what else is true. Yeah. And I think that when we do have one or two people that, that demonstrate that love to us, that does help to remind mm-hmm. us that we, we can be loved. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is, you know, sometimes it's about love and not knowing if, if mm-hmm. we're lovable mm-hmm. and that there are, that we're worthy to be cared about. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a very painful, difficult time, but it wasn't painful and difficult without ceasing. And I'm glad that I know that because it's one of the things I do talk with survivors about too is, and you, you talk about this a lot, too, about noticing, nurturing the good. So, yes, I had all these difficult things happening. And then there were still moments where there was joy and there was laughter and there was a sense of connection. And that kind of, um, you know, kind of front-loaded me, kind of added to my cup. And so it wasn't all you know, gloom and doom every single day. And, I'm, you know, I always wonder about that when, when, you know, I think that when you do the work that you've done and the work that I've done, and I've, I've interviewed so many people now on the show and in my life before having the show, is that what is that journey that brings some of us to decide to not only continue to cultivate our well-being, but to help others and mm-hmm. those that end up really living in despair? And mm-hmm. that's why I'm, you know, wanting to highlight for our, our listeners is to maybe t- to shine more light on, mm-hmm. yes, there may have been lots of hardship, but mm-hmm. there's also other things that happen. Because I know mm-hmm. that sometimes the way we're designed to is what we call a negativity focus, right? To remember mm-hmm. all the bad things and then not to also remember those things, those sparkles of hope that helped us get through a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And I know that I've heard that for so many people. And I, and I just imagine you working at the center. 
I imagine you've been a sparkle of hope for many people, Barbara, along the way. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Well, you've been a sparkle of hope for me. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that's been something that you certainly have sprinkled, you know, in your part of Decatur, Georgia, mm-hmm. and other places on the on the planet as well. Yeah, you know, that's really been. I'm oh, sorry. That's that's really been my intention. You know, just you know, thinking about growing up with domestic violence and then experiencing anxiety and depression in that way it was quite quite painful. And so now that I feel better, I feel like I want to help other people feel better too. Well, so you know, there may be people listening out in mm-hmm. in our world of listeners that may be in that place of despair and feeling depression. I'm just wondering what are the kinds of things that maybe they could do today mm-hmm. to maybe start a new journey for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about, you know, paying attention to what else is true and, and cultivating that, but sometimes it's not so easy to know that how do I do it, Barbara? How do, how do I get there? Mm-hmm. And you're trained in so many different things, including the community resiliency model, but meditation mm-hmm. and, and your yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Would you share a little bit about what kinds of things that people can do to help them through? Yeah. So uh, one of the things, of course, is tracking. So just noticing what's happening in the body and paying attention to those sensations that are pleasant or neutral, I think is really helpful. Because again, if you experience a lot of distress, it can feel like the stress is permanent, like you never have any other default setting. And so to recognize first that it um, it's possible in your body to feel okay, that's that's the first thing. And then I think um, one of the things that's also been very helpful for me is to drop the story and stay with the sensations. Uh-huh. And so I, I experienced a lot of anxiety, which was so, so painful. And um, what I eventually came to is that, you know, anxiety for some people is a normal human experience. Everybody experiences anxiety sometimes. Some people, you know, more intensely than others, um, and so recognizing that that is my experience as a person, that's kind of how my nervous system is set, there is anxiety, to just acknowledge it, you know, sometimes anxiety is going to be present. And when anxiety is present, I can watch the sensations in my body. I can remind myself that I know how to care for myself. I can remind myself that I'm not alone, that again, everybody experiences anxiety sometimes. I can watch the sensations as they move in my body. And I can also let myself know that I have a well-being practice. I know how to return to my body, how to find safety here. And as I do, I can let myself remember that there's no finish line. So it's not true that I'm going to do a meditation today and I'm never, ever going to experience anxiety again. I likely will experience anxiety again, but, but is it going to send me outside of my resilience zone? Probably not. I can watch the anxiety. I can offer myself some phrases of compassion. And may I remember that I'm enough in this moment. May I connect to my sense of myself. May I remember that I've gotten through hard times before and I know how to do this. And then I think the other thing is to change your mind about how you experience difficulty. So it's true that we are all going to suffer. We're all going to experience feelings that we don't like and we don't want. And rather than think that it's our job to get rid of them, that we're going to cross some imaginary finish line where you never have to be angry again, never <laughs> insecure, never jealous. Well, that would be nice if you, could, if you could promise me that I'm never yeah, going to be angry again. Yeah. I'm never going to do any of those things. And I sometimes say, oh, Elaine, why would you do that? Right? Yeah, you will feel that way sometimes. And so our <laughs> yes, work really is to be kind to ourselves when that happens. So not to get rid of the difficulty, but to learn how to be with our own suffering in a way that doesn't cause further harm. And, and when we 
beat ourselves up about it, it does cause cause further harm. And so just to be kind. Well, you know, I was mm-hmm. I was talking about that this today actually in a webinar um, for the Ukrainians, and we we're talking about suffering, and we we're talking about how we get out of suffering. We could even talk about as joy or things that make us feel a little bit better because you also can feel guilty about having a feeling of joy or feeling even happiness when there's so much suffering. And so we're talking about how is it possible to hold both, that you can lean into your suffering. It's almost like you can touch it and say, well, do do I want to stay with this suffering? Maybe I can lean into also remembering my mommy and my auntie that loved me unconditionally, right? And think about, oh, the warmth in my heart when you put your hand to your heart, that mm-hmm. we don't have to stay with the, and that's, I think we can get stuck, kind of right. like immovable. And if we can just say, oh, wait a second, I can remember this is also part of right. my life experience, right. that it doesn't last forever. Right. And, and there's a lovely woman named Dr. Edie um, um, Eager, and she was a Holocaust survivor, and she's written a book called The Chance. And um, I was able to get her to come and give a little short a message of hope to the Ukrainians today. And mm-hmm. what she said is that she lived with so much suffering, but there was always a hope of tomorrow. And she yeah. said, and she knew it wasn't going to last for it. She said, I didn't think it was going to last forever. And mm-hmm. I thought, wow, you could say that when you're in Auschwitz. How is that amazing? And she's in her 90s now, and she's like just an, an avatar of the planet, right? She, I think Oprah Winfrey called her the, one of the most amazing persons she's ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that seems to be the key to that, isn't it? That there is the suffering, and it, just to know that it's there and that it's right. part of living. Right. But it doesn't have to define us, and it doesn't have to consume us That's exactly unless we right. let it. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. And I think, I think some of us feel like we have to get rid of everything that we don't like in order to make space for or enjoy the things that we do like. And exactly like you're saying, we can have enough space for both. We don't have to get rid of all of the bad to be able to also enjoy the good. Yeah. I mean, both, both can be there. Yeah, and so you know, even then, I, I've sometimes seen people almost like they're juggling two um, two balls in their hand and going back and forth, with one being the the joy and one being the suffering. It's kind of like, well, which one am I going to pay attention to and feed? Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do a little bit of attention on this one that has to do with my joy, or mm-hmm. my or my um, compassion. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a whole realm of different emotions that we may experience as human beings that calm us, that are mm-hmm. that that are in the range of maybe even just saying, right now I feel a certain neutrality. I wouldn't even call it joy. I'd call it just that I feel like it's almost like I'm okay in the world, even with all the chaos that may be surrounding me at this moment. Right. So it doesn't have to be the, you know, it doesn't have, it, I guess one doesn't exclude the other, I guess is what I want to say. Today. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's one, enough space. We have to have enough space for both. Yeah. That's very so, human. Yeah. So that sounds like that was one of your big learnings as you were going through your journey as well. I think I've mm-hmm. learned that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes I think I forget, but <laughs> we do. That, yes. that's what, I try to remember that, that in myself, right? That's well being practiced. We have to return to it again and again. Yes, we are. Yeah. So and we're going to go on a break in just a minute or so. And when we come back, um, Barbara Gibson is going to share more of her wisdom with us. I can see, I hope that you can hear how much wisdom she has. And we're going to do a little deeper dive into um, the work that she's been doing in Decatur. Um, George, I always love to say Decatur, Georgia. There's something about the rhythm of that word that I like. But anyway, about the Women's Resource Center. And also here's some more more of her wisdom about the things that she's learned that can help us heal those those storms that happen inside of us and how we can um, calm those storms 
And I guess just be more present with our more compassionate self. I know mm-hmm. I like what you said about to know that we're enough. Mm-hmm. I love that. Enough. To yeah. know that we're, when you say that to me, it, it kind of brings tears to my eyes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. you're saying that to me personally right now. <laughs> Thank <am>. you. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara. I appreciate that. You're so welcome, much. Elaine. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. I appreciate that so much from you. Uh-huh. So um, we'll be back in just um, a couple minutes and we'll take a short break. And when we come back, Barbara Gibson will continue to share her wisdom with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Barbara Gibson, who is sharing her wisdom. 
She works at the uh, Women's Resource Center in Decatur, Georgia. She's been there since 1989, so she has a whole bucket full of wisdom. <laughs> and we're going to talk. We're going to kind of segue now. And I think, but I think this is all an also important thing. We've been talking about Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that when there is violence in the community, and certainly there's, you know, war is one of the worst kinds of um, violence that we can see. That this also affects individuals as they're living within it, of course. Mm-hmm. And it also can lead to also violence within their their households mm-hmm. when people are under that degree of pressure. So um, it's it can be you can be getting violence from all different sides when there is armed conflict, but also the conflict that we're seeing in Ukraine sometimes happens in our neighborhoods all over the world mm-hmm. um, with community violence. So I'm wondering if maybe we can just if you can talk a little bit about share about your work with survivors and why doing this work is so important. Yeah, thanks, Elaine. So I'll start by saying that the point that I was making at the very beginning when I talked about how safer communities begin within, because you're exactly right. If I'm at a place where I'm allowing my stress, my overwhelm, or whatever I'm experiencing, if I let that impact the way that I treat the people around me, then, then of course, exactly like you're saying, that's violence. And we know that domestic violence is a structural, it's a systemic problem, it's a cultural problem. And we also know, too, that people have individual choices. Some people are violent and some people are not. Um, And so I just really want us to be mindful that the way that we care for our feelings can impact the way that we show up in the world. And it's also important for us to recognize that as we're learning to do a new thing, as we're learning to respond to our overwhelm, as we're learning to respond to our upset, we need the people around us to hold us supportively accountable so that, um, you know, we can stay inside of our resilience zone. We can stay in a place where there's calm, where we can think clearly and we can choose how we want to respond in the moment. And there's an expression that Thich Nhat Hanh has that I've been sharing everywhere about if someone sets your house on fire, do you first chase after that person or do you first put the fire out? And some of the work that we're doing at the Women's Resource Center really is around prevention. So we can support each, we can support everyone to put their own fire out first. Um, because what we are saying is that all forms of violence are unacceptable. All forms of violence are not okay. And we're saying that you know, poverty is a kind of violence. Oppression is a kind of violence. Making people invisible is a kind of violence. Dehumanizing people is a kind of violence. And we really want to support people to find the place inside themselves where they can recognize their own humanity and then use it as a way to connect to the humanity of other people. So in terms of the services that we offer, we do have the Safe House, which is uh, where I work. And at the Safe House, we provide safe space for people who are fleeing domestic violence as adults and children. We also offer legal advocacy, so assistance with temporary protective orders against abusive partners. We have a 24-hour crisis line, so it's an opportunity really just to call and be heard for someone to slow down and make space to listen to whatever you want to say, to explore resources, to consider options, just to remind you that you have strength inside of you, and you can forget about that when you're surviving domestic violence. You can feel like you're broken, like you can't trust yourself, like you can't make good choices. And so it's really wonderful to be able to talk with someone who can kind of mirror back your strengths because being able to survive in a relationship where you're experiencing domestic violence takes incredible strength and you might not be in touch with that. 
We have uh, children's programs and uh, supervised visitation and exchange. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, resettlement assistance, a number of services that are really so Barbara, designed to help people. And you're in, you're located in Georgia, but there are organizations like yours, all, you know, all over the country and in some places in the world as well. Is that true? Yes, yes, they are. So yes, we are in Metro Atlanta, um, but there are equivalent agencies, not quite as wonderful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is my own bias. All right, yes, now, right. now I've never heard you have a bias before, so now I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just wondering, how would people get help? I mean, we have listeners from all over the world. So mm-hmm. um, what would you suggest that they do? I mean, I know if you have a 911 number that you can call, but what if they didn't feel, I don't want to call 911 yet. Is there mm-hmm. something in between 911 and um, and coming to the shelter, in, no matter where people live? Absolutely. So people can call the crisis line, which is available 24 hours a day. And our number is 404-688-9436. We are also on Facebook, so we can help people get connected to resources in their area. There is also a national domestic violence hotline. I don't know the number offhand, but there is that number available nationally. Um, so that would be a good place to start. Um, the other thing I would, I would encourage is if you know someone who's a survivor of domestic violence, try to create safe space where this person can disclose to you. And as a person discloses, try not to offer too much information. Often survivors feel shamed or blamed, or people might say things like, you know, if if that were me, I would do this or I would do that. We don't know what we would do until we're faced with that situation. And whatever you say. That's important, isn't it? Because I've heard people say, oh, well, they've been telling me to leave him forever, but they don't know. They think that they only see that part of him, but he really can be so loving. And I just am, I don't even know if I want to talk to my family anymore. That's exactly right. And so what happens over time is that you lose your family as a resource because that that bridge is burned if you go back. And survivors often do because you're exactly right. You're not just leaving the things you don't like. You're also leaving the things you like. Your favorite coffee mug, your view when you drink your coffee, your neighborhood, the parts about this person that you do like, your hopes for the future in this relationship. So it's not as easy as just walking away. And survivors need a place to kind of let somebody hear that. So, Barbara, I just want to let people know that the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. So, 800-799-7233. I want people to be able to to get a hold of that number if they need it. So, I know that there's a number of myths about domestic violence, and I'm wondering if you could share with us what some of those are, because don't the kind of the myths kind of hold us in place sometimes and make us stuck? They do. So one of the primary things I will say is that when we think about people who are surviving domestic violence, when we think about people who are experiencing homelessness, people who are enduring war, we imagine that they are somehow unbridgeably different from us. Um, But that's not the case. We're talking about people who are in all the ways that really matter exactly like us. Um, And so when we let ourselves stay connected to our sameness, when we let ourselves stay connected to our interdependence, then we can have uh, compassion rather than pity. We can have a sense of connection rather than um, anger and frustration. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Uh, But when we think about survivors of domestic violence, we want to be mindful that these are people just like us who love their children, love their family members, 
have ideas about how they want their lives to be, have hopes for themselves, go to work every day, want to make dinner and have homework time with their children, tuck their children in, have pets. We have a dog here right now with one of the families. Um, you know, people who are just like us in so many ways. And so we really want to move away from this idea that if your life doesn't look like mine or if it doesn't look like something that I recognize, that you are somehow other and you belong outside of this circle that we have as a community of people. I really want to encourage us to invite everyone in the circle so that we can really see them eye to eye, person to person. Because that's, again, how we're going to create safer communities. If we can see the people Mm -hmm. that are in our community recognize that their needs, their wants, their desire to be free from suffering is much like our own, that, but that they do suffer much like we do. And they also experience joys much like we do. And recognizing that your suffering, your sense of loss, your grief, when you experience it, it's just like mine. And when I can connect to my own and recognize that it's the same as yours, then it seems like it's really difficult for me to ignore you and your suffering. But I know what my suffering feels like. And knowing that doesn't feel like I can just ignore your own suffering or say that your suffering doesn't matter because it's the same as mine. So, Barbara, what you've just said, it seems to me like the recipe for world peace. <laughs> if we could be like this, right? I'm thinking, I was, of course, I'm thinking about Ukraine. It's so in my mind right now um, because I, you know, I wonder when we have these systems that can create war and, you know, would you think some of it comes from this kind of undigested trauma that could be in world leaders that, you know, this um, desire to be all powerful and to subjugate, I mean, a whole country. And we're mm-hmm. talking, you know, in domestic violence in a smaller system of someone subjugating a family or a person within a family. But that does have a ricochet, just like when you're saying with mirror neurons, when we have self-compassion, that that also one nervous system impacts another nervous system. We're body to body, right? right. So, but in the other, in this kind of macro system perspective, I mean, it's, it's not different, is it? I mean, if we were to cultivate what you're talking about as a worldwide community, mm-hmm. could that have the possibility to end war? Yeah. In conflict? I, do, I, do, I do think so. I do think so. And I think that the way that we relate to our own feelings are, ability to relate to other people, to see people as full human beings, our ability to care about how other people experience the world, how they experience their their sense of opportunity, possibility, safety. I think as we really think about these things and and see ourselves as people who are are on some level responsible for this, like, I don't think we, we really fully grasp how connected we are as human beings, how what I do, what I say matters to the people around me. Yeah. And then what they admitted, it, it's all really connected. I think sometimes people kind of see themselves as one solitary person, but we're not solitary people. And what we do matters. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I, was, I, I heard today that um, some of the Russian soldiers that have been captured by the Ukrainian, Ukrainian military that they actually, the Ukrainians set up an 800 number where they could call their family members to tell them that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Now here, the Russians are trying to invade their country. And that to me was ex- exactly the visible act of compassion towards the soldier that's trying to subjugate them towards their family that's suffering, not knowing if their, their son is alive 
are dead in mm-hmm. in um in Ukraine. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's really kind of almost an how does that happen where we mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. one thing going on and then the other kind of compassion. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that maybe that's why we're all many of us around the world are rallying towards the Ukrainians because we're witnessing that kind of um, behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm so encouraged by that. I didn't know that, but I think I think that's exactly how it should be. So. You know, sometimes it can happen that our feelings get hurt or we, you know, we, whatever it is that, that we're experiencing. And so we kind of act out of that place. But, you know, if, if we recognize that we suffer uh, and that we want to end suffering for ourselves and the people around us, then we do have a responsibility to show up with integrity, with kindness. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Even when we feel a little crispy around the edges, even if yeah. we feel hurt, or even if we feel like our ego has been bruised, we have a responsibility to care for our feelings first. Like I talked about, somebody sets my house on fire, I care for myself first, then I deal with the other person. That does not mean that people can't be held accountable, but how I invite them to accountability is going to be very different if I'm in my resilient zone, if I'm caring about myself and caring about their feelings than it will be if I am outside of my zone and I'm not caring about those feelings because I feel like my feelings are hurt. I have to well, always care for my feelings first so I can show up in a way that um, lets me be the kind of person that I want to be in the world. So Barbara, that brings me to another question. I think it's a little harder question in that, I mean, you can cultivate that, but the person, let's say you're in relationship, you know, they may see that you're that way, but they don't care. They want you to do what you they want you to do. Mm-hmm. And so, then when you are at that kind of crossroads, well, do you stay or do you leave? What is it that makes the person decide that they can't take the injury or the hurt? And we know that injury can not only be verbal and not Mm -hmm. only be physical, but it can be verbal too. So I don't know if you can just address that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really important point. And so if we're talking about surviving domestic violence, a lot of the times people do think broken bones, people do think bruises. And that is, that is only a part of it. Domestic violence can be financial abuse. It can be emotional abuse, abuse of pets, sexual abuse, um, isolation. What I often talk with survivors about is that it's a pattern of behaviors that makes you feel smaller, makes your life feel smaller disconnects you from the part of yourself that feels joy, um, possibility, your connection to safety. Um, And I also say that, you know, even if it's none of those things, you get to be the author, the authority in your own experience. And so if you think that this is not right, then you get to say that this is not right. Um, Mm -hmm. This, this feels violent. I mean, this is a pattern of violence to me and this has to stop. Um, one of the things I say about leaving the relationship is it's always a personal choice. And sometimes we might wish a person could leave sooner. Um, survivors have all kinds of reasons for staying in relationships, even after we think they should go. And that's, again, their choice. Um, but in terms of the choice to leave, yeah. uh, when, when you make the choice to leave, Try to, in advance, find someone who you know can be supportive of you and who can be a safe place to talk about the mixed feelings because there will be this sense of relief, this sense of safety and sense of pride. And there will also still be a sense of grief and loss because, again, you've walked away from the parts of the relationship that you like as well as the parts that you don't like. So let yourself have permission to grieve and find people who can support you in that grief and also can remind you about who you are who can see your highest vision of yourself and really help you 
get to that place, help you kind of clarify not just what you're running away from, but what you're running to, you're now what, you're what next, and remind you that that's possible for you, no matter what has happened in your past. Well, it sounds to me from what you're saying, too, that many people that have been victimized by someone who verbally or physically, that you can become wobbly in that sense of self. So Mm -hmm. having some nourishing people around you Mm -hmm. is to reach out to them. So the other question I have, and this is a hard one, I've heard many um, people say this, is the fear of leaving because sometimes an abuser has said, if you leave me, I'll kill you and the children. Mm -hmm. And I actually knew of one case where um, he would keep um, newspaper writings of of men that did that Mm -hmm. to evoke fear in her to not leave. Right. You know, what do you do in that kind of extremity of abuse, which, you know, I know is not necessarily always common, but is common enough. Right. That's a really important point. And sometimes that can happen, even if there has not been physical violence in the past, uh, that, that the person um, caused extreme harm, even loss of life after a survivor left. And so um, what we know is that leaving is the most dangerous time. We're thinking about this person wanting to have power over you, wanting to control you, control your life, control your choices. And when you remove that power, when you remove that control, the person will ramp up their behavior as a way of regaining control over you. And so that's one of the reasons I said, if a person chooses to stay, then um, there must be a reason and we have to respect that. Sometimes being able to watch what the person who is causing harm is doing is your way of staying safe, mm-hmm. of kind of, you know, making sure that you can appease them or um, befriend them so that you can keep yourself alive. Uh, the other thing I would say could be really helpful is the Women's Resource Center does and the National Domestic Violence um, Center does have safety planning, uh, safety plans on our website. And there's also a quick escape, escape the site. If you're kind of reviewing the plan and uh, someone sees you doing that, you can get away from it quickly. But, you know, take your time to plan, reach out to uh, agencies that can provide support, can provide shelter, can provide legal intervention. And um, I know it's easier said than done. There's so much shame, but talk with people who are safe, who can help you think through your plan, um, because it's very, very difficult to do on your own. So the other question that I have for you, of course, you know, I'm going to ask you this question, Barbara, is that now you became a community resiliency model skills teacher and, you know, you actually now are kind of on the faculty round, right, of teaching these skills to others. Um, what, what was it about this? What's a, what is about the community resiliency model skills that you've integrated this into the different offerings that you do? Is there anything in particular that you think is important to highlight? Sure. So I originally came to the model because we were looking for something to support survivors. A lot of the families that we work with are dealing not just with the immediate trauma of domestic violence, but often complex trauma, many things that they've been experiencing over a lifetime. And so we were looking for ways to provide some additional support. And um, one of the things that's so important is the visual of the resilience zone where we talk about being stuck on high and we talk about being stuck on low is it's so validating for families to look at because if you name, you know, edgy, um, hypervigilant, panic, rage, you know, seeing that on paper and knowing that it's about my biology and it's not about mental weakness is so validating because people often say, you know, that's me, that's me, that's me. I thought it was just me. 
Yeah. And so being able to see that and know that it's not just me that I'm having a a normal biological response. If I have been um, unsafe a lot, then yes, it's going to show up in my body. If I have always had to look over my shoulder, yes, it's going to show up in my body. And so these are sensations that I'm experiencing. And um, I'm just like everybody else in that everybody has a nervous system. And these skills can help me figure out how to support my nervous system in a way that helps me feel inside my resilient zone to get th- done the things I need to do so that I can work on becoming safe and stable. So it's been really so that's one of, the, one of the things about putting the fire out inside of yourself first. It sounds like I guess I, when you were saying that, I was thinking about those kind of skills can do that. Absolutely. You know, we're only, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, but, you know, I knew it was going to go by fast with you, Barbara. But I'm wondering if there's any words of wisdom as we're getting ready to close out today mm-hmm. um, that you would like to say to someone who might be sitting out there who's a, who is, um, living in this kind of situation, or if people are feeling overwhelmed because of the situation in Ukraine and feel like there's, like me, a disturbance in the force. So is there any words of wisdom you'd like to say to our our listeners as we get ready to leave today? I I would. And I think that um, there's all kinds of suffering. So yes, there is a suffering of domestic violence. There's a suffering that's happening in Ukraine. There's a suffering that's happening in Myanmar and Middle East. And so, so we're all holding so much right now. And I would just invite people to begin by holding it gently, holding it tenderly with compassion, mm-hmm. recognizing that we're not holding it alone. Mm-hmm. And also recognizing too that there's something that we can all do. So maybe I can't go to Ukraine tomorrow. But going back to the expression that I had, I think maybe I got it from Bo that Everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes. <laughs> yes, you know, figure out where you have power and use it to make a difference right in front of you. And sometimes that could be offering someone a kind word. It could be helping someone with their homework. It could be being a listening ear for a survivor of domestic violence. It could be providing financial support to a DV agency or a humanitarian agency. So figure out where you have power and use it for good. It could be composting. We're talking to about climate change. Composting can combat climate change. So we cannot do everything, but we all have the power to do something. We cannot collapse. We can can care for our suffering. And then as we care for our suffering, suffering, we want to let ourselves stay connected to our capacity to use our power to show up in the world for good. And we can all do that. Okay. And Barbara, can you give us the website for the Women's um, Resource Center and how they can get a hold of you? Yes, we're at wrcdv.org. That's Women's Resource Center, domesticviolence.org. And our 24-hour crisis line is 404-688-9436. Barbara, thank you so much. You have been a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. And to our listeners, we will be back next week. I'm going to be having a young woman who is Ukrainian that will talk a little bit about what it's like to be living in America with her family in Ukraine and some of the things we can think about in terms of, I guess, doing the dishes, what we can do in the present moment to, to help right now when things seem so far away. And I'm just going to remind everybody to live in peace, cultivate compassion, love one another, Hug those you love right now. Practice gratitude. Remember what else is true in the face of your own suffering. And until we meet again, um, be well and be safe. And thanks again. Thank Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.